Welcome to Reconcile Church Miami. Guest speaker, preacher, Santiago Ramirez. Father, we thank you so much for the gifts that we have in you. We thank you so much for the gift that you are to us. God, I pray that you would simply use me as your mouthpiece this morning and to communicate what it is that you want to speak into our hearts, into our minds, into our lives, God. Open us up to you in Christ's beautiful name. Amen. I saw a few years ago, my wife and I went, uh, you know, embarked on this journey of adoption. If you've ever considered adoption, it's it's a beautiful thing because you get you you get to be part of bringing somebody into your family. You get to be part of bringing somebody as a member, as a daughter, as a son in the family, right? And um, so we, my wife and I, were attending this uh, church when we were in transition. This is right before we got to reconcile church here, and we. Before we got married, we actually discussed having kids, and I found out that supposedly my wife wasn't able to bear children. You know, this is what two different doctors told her. So we decided, hey, like, well, then just let's adopt. Let's do that. That'll be an awesome thing. Like, you know, how many kids out there don't have a parent to go to, a parent to turn to? Let's adopt. That'll be awesome. But then... Surprise, Joe, and then surprise, Jay. And, you know, and still, so we, we kind of put that on the back burner. And yet, when this opportunity arose, uh, Danny or Danielska, you know, came into the picture and we laid eyes on her and we was like, yeah, she's, she's, she's the one. We want to adopt her. We want to bring her into our family. And so we went through the hoops. We went through everything, you know, that so much paperwork, so much this, home inspections and more like home invasions, um, you know, uh, uh, supervised visits and whatnot. And we were jumping through all the hoops, and then we stand before a judge one day. We're, we're getting the green light, and we're excited. We're floored. We're, yo, she's about to be ours forever. And so we get the green light. And we're celebrating. Let, let's, dude, let's go have some, you know, let's go, let's go celebrate somewhere. And then we get a call, and it was a horrible one because apparently our social worker tells us that apparently Danny pulls out from the whole adoption. She, and she just refuses to believe that anyone would want her as a daughter as a member of the family. She refuses to believe that anybody could want her just for who she is. She refuses to believe that she's just in complete disbelief that anybody could love her outside of her biological parents. And if we're honest with ourselves, we do that. We do that every single day in many forms our lives are all different and yet we do that maybe this isn't your story maybe you're looking at God through a whole different lens and yet still 
If we're honest with ourselves, we do the same thing with God. And it spills over into our own families. It spills over into our marriages. It spills over into our mother and fatherhood. It spills over into, uh, you know, how we relate with other people. It spills over into how we look at the church. It spills over into all aspects of our lives. But if we really look at it, the reason why we don't come to a, a, a real, a real trust in God is because we are first trusting ourselves to be able to trust God. I don't know if you understand that, but we, we're basing our, on our belief on our capacity to believe. That's what, that's what, in essence, that's what we're doing. We're, we're basing our belief on our emotions, on our feelings, on what we feel and what we think and, you know, on how we feel because of our past. Whatever it is, that's what we do. We're basing our confidence in God in our, at first in, in our confidence in ourselves. And therefore, we can never get to a point of realization that, yo, it is God that has brought us into his family in a, in a massive and clear and right and legal way. It is the Lord that has given way more than we could have ever imagined, y'all. And what he did was achieve the impossible. He's the father that keeps on giving. He's our father that keeps on giving. So to in, in an attempt to lay things out, you know, so that we can know, you know, like how we should live our lives or our walks, how they should look and, and you know, how they should be different in light of God being our father that first keeps on giving and the one who gives us his son the father who gives us an adoption and the father who gives us his spirit and also the father who gives us an inheritance. Let me, before I attempt to do that, let, let, let me give you some background on what's going on here in Galatia. So there's a bunch of confusion going on in Galatia. There's, there's these fake brothers that have come into the church and they're telling everybody, Jew and Gentile, like, like, yo, if, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to be a true believer, if you want to uh, get joined into the family of God for real, before you do that, you must observe the law. You must ob- observe the Mosaic Covenant. You must get yourself circumcised. You must keep a bunch of rules that were meant for Christ to keep. And they were meant to, for, you know, for them to show us that we couldn't keep them, that we, we had no ability to do so. See, they were saying, even then, you must observe this in order for you to be a real child of God. So Paul comes in saying, like, yo, like, and I think the, 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 the best uh, verse here to describe Galatians in, 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 in one instance is Galatians 2.16. It says, yet we know that no one is justified. And he's talking to the Jews like, yo, no, we know that no one is justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. He's saying like, yo, stop saying all of this to everybody. You're tricking people, you're confusing people, and on top of that, you're condemning people. 
And we're going back. And he's like, he's talking to the Galatians like, yo, like who bewitched you? Who cast a spell on you? Like you started with the spirit. When I preached to you, you were willing to pluck your eyes out and give them to me because of the faith that God had given you through the gospel. Now you want to go back to trying to keep the law? We know no one is justified by the works of the law. I do not set aside, it says in verse, he tells it in verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. In essence, like, yo, you want to keep the law? You want to go get yourself circumcised because that's your conviction? Then go ahead. But then you're deeming Christ's work on the cross? You're deeming Christ's whole life useless? It was, you're rendering his whole ministry Useless on our behalf. At the end of the day, we leave condemned if, if, that's, if that's the truth. But I think Paul, in the passage we're going to be in today, reaches the pinnacle of his letter to the Galatians. And I, I mean, you want to talk about high theology? This is the highest of theologies that I've come across. And not just personally, but I think just for, for everybody. That he, he, he goes on and reminds us that we're no longer slaves to the elemental forces. We're no longer slaves to the things of the past. We're no longer slaves at all. We're no longer slaves under the covenant of the law. You're no longer slaves under the arrangement that made you work for your salvation. Do this and live. Do this and be blessed. Don't do this and be cursed. Remember that? We're no longer slaves to that. We were imprisoned at one point. We were under that power. But, let's, let's, let's read the passage real quick. In verse 4 it says, But when the completion of the time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. And this makes way to my first point. If the father is a father who keeps on giving, he's also the father who gave us his son. That is... At the arrival, when the time came to completion, or when the completion of time came, that is, at the arrival of the time set by the Father, the appointed time, a definite, definite period in time, when Christ would come to set us free from the law, okay? When that time came, when Jews and Gentiles would be recipients, heirs, partakers of the same promise of grace in Christ Jesus, the one he made to Abraham, when that, when that time came, God the Father gave us his son. And, and notice as he says, God sent his son. So God doesn't just give us or, or, or another human being that, you know, is born into sin like us. No, God gives us the eternal one. God gives us who, someone who from eternity to eternity has been existing. He's been here, yo. And in John 1, 1, it tells us in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. But the word became flesh. Right? 
It's like, he's like, no, this is not another guy that was born into sin like you and me. This guy is eternal. This guy has been here. He is the word. He was there with God and he is God. So he's not saying like, yo, like, I'm just giving you another guy. I'm sending you my son. I'm sending you the eternal one. But at the same time, it says born of a woman. So God gives us, in essence, a substitute. God gives us a substitute. You know why? Because human sin demands human payment. Human sin demands human payment. The payment of what? And what's the payment? The payment of sin. And what's the payment of sin? Death. Blood had to be spilt. Blood had to be spilt, y'all. And since sin needed to be atoned for, since sin needed to be paid for, someone needed to make a payment or restitution for their sin, Jesus is the gift of God's accomplishment, achievement, and attainment in his humanity for us. Jesus is the gift of God's accomplishment, his achievement, attainment, and his humanity for us, for us. He is our replacement because everyone here, including my daughters, I love my daughters to death, but including them were born spiritually dead. Enslaved to sin. And because the law can't perfect, the law couldn't perfect anything or anyone. And because it demanded perfection, a perfect substitute was needed. For what? For us. To replace us. He was born under the law. It says, so God gives us someone, not just eternal, and not just a substitute, but for what? Born under the law. He gives us someone who would perform perfectly in our place. Man, I, I don't know about that, but I long for days to be perfect in my life. I long for me to be perfect in everything that I do. I long for that. That comes from eternity. That comes from, from the very beginning. And yet we're not. And yet God gave us someone who would perform perfectly in our place. Jesus is the gift of God's perfection to us as a law keeper and law bearer. Hebrews 9 and 22 says, According to the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. <clears throat> Jeremiah 30 and 12 says, For this is what the Lord says, Your injury is incurable. Your wound most severe. You have no defender for your case. There is no remedy for your sores and no healing for you. You know what he's telling us? Bro, you had no hope. You were helpless. You were stuck. You were condemned under the law of God. And so was I. And we had no way out. There was no way of fixing ourselves. There's no way, there was no way of, of curing ourselves. There's no way of, of dis, uh, uh, disengaging us, ourselves from this sin. This sin was stuck on us and we were stuck with it. 
There was no way we could make ourselves better. There was no way we could make ourselves clean outside of Christ. But God in his sovereignty, he sends the Redeemer. He sends his son, born of a woman. Born under the law. And, 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 it's, and, and, and you know, it's born under its vigilant scrutiny. And he's not only that, but it's wet, under the weight of his punishment too. For what? For sin. For our sin. For how much we love ourselves before we love God. For how much we would prefer to do what we want to do as opposed to doing what God would have us to do for for our sin. So, and if this is the truth, we we can say goodbye. We can kick moralism out, bro. Because if we had no hope, if we had no help, from anywhere on this earth, we can kick moralism out. We can kick good behavior out. You modifying your behavior so that you can look good every day, kick that out. It's not needed. Self-esteem? Bro, you are way too esteemed in Christ. Way too esteemed in Christ to think about how high you are, how good you are when you're not. When in reality, we are not good, and yet God is good. Christ is good. Christ, and Christ has esteemed us. So much so that he came he, as a man, not considering equality, not considering that something to, to exploit. Took that off, became a man, came, became under the law. He, he, he bore the pressure of the law to free us. That's how much he esteems us. That's how much he loves us, yo. If you don't get nothing else this morning, get that. Our redemption is found in someone given to us, not something required of us. Our our redemption is not in something we offer up to God. But in the offering God himself made on our behalf, y'all. There's nothing we can come to God with. Your prayer, your decision, how awesome and how good you look. God, I didn't sin this week. You're right. There's nothing we can come to God to try to justify ourselves before him. Otherwise, why send his son? But at the same time, you look, it's like, hey, God, I, I, I want to come to you with my good stuff, though. This is, this is me on a constant basis. I constantly find myself forgetting that, hey, like, you replaced me. You gave me a substitute. You, so that I can be free, so that my mind can be at ease, so that my heart can be at peace. He did that on our behalf. But you know, this is the crazy thing. He could have stopped there. Okay, I'll give you my son, and then I'll give you freedom from your sin. That's a great gift. But he didn't stop there. He kept on going. 
the reason for his son was because he can be the father who gives us adoption. He is the father who gives us adoption and says, uh, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. Sinclair Ferguson says, our sonship to God is the apex of creation and the goal of redemption. The apex of creation, the most high point of creation, the most important thing on this planet and in the universe is the goal of redemption for our adoption. And he gives us a new status by the gift of redemption. A legal status. A new legal status. See, adoption is not a change in your behavior, y'all. Adoption is not a change in, 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 in just your nature alone or something like that. But it's a definite, a definite change in your status. And you know what? And it's irrevocable. It's irreversible. And it doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on us to keep it. It doesn't depend on us to attain it. But on the sole fact that God was pleased in eternity, in his gracious love, in his mercy, to say to you, hey, you're my son, you're my daughter, you're my child. That's what it depends on. It has nothing to do with what we think we can attain at a point in time or even over time. But in Christ's personal fulfillment of the law, for us, it, it depends on Christ fulfilling the Mosaic covenant. It, it depends on Christ fulfilling the covenant of God between God and man. He won the whole house, y'all. He won the promised land for us. He won this inheritance for us. He won grace for us. He won. He won it all for us. He won our forgiveness for us. He won this redemption for us. He won our sonship. He won our adoption. And now, in in, in Ephesians 3 and 6, it says that now in Christ Jesus, through the gospel, we are now fellow heirs. Members of the same body and partakers of the promise. So now we have a share in this. Now we have a hand in this. You're not an outsider. By virtue of adoption and redemptions, in redemption, you are an insider. You are a son of God. You are a child of God. And it's perpetual. It's ceaseless. It's constant. It's enduring. It's everlasting. It's eternal. It's interminable. It's permanent. Permanent. I don't know how else to put it. It's set in stone for you and me. In Christ's victory, our status, our position, our standing, our state of our identity changes once and for all. When you were in as you were imprisoned, now you were free. You were exiled, but now you are welcomed in. You understand this? You were rejected, but now you're accepted. 
You were a debtor, but now you have a clean slate by his virtue. You were cut off, but now you are grafted into the family of God. Alienated, but now you are united to Christ. Condemned, that's who you were. But now you are released and exonerated. You are made free, but free of guilt at the same time. You were a slave. But now we're sons. We're sons of God. Now, the ladies up in here, let me speak to y'all for a second. Make some clarification. It says sons. See, back in, the, back in those days, women weren't considered. A woman's opinion didn't really matter. Your status didn't really count. That's why so many women back in those days were found to be destitute. Okay? Now, Christ is, Christ is telling us through the Apostle Paul, like, yo, now there is no women, there is no men. There's no female or, or male. They're, they're, there's no slave or free. There's sons. In other words, like, what he's trying to tell us, like, yo, like, women didn't get an inheritance. Women didn't get none of that, good, the good benefits from the family. Only the sons did. So now God is telling us through Paul, like, yo, women, you're in this too. You are a son of God, whether you like it or not, because you're going to get an inheritance. You have an inheritance in Christ as well. Not just us, man. I just wanted to speak, make that clear because I don't want nobody coming. Oh, you don't think women receive an inheritance? Like, no, like, you have to understand what we're talking about here, okay? And, 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 and here's the beautiful thing about Christ, man. Like, he doesn't stop there. He, in our new status, sons, he gives us a new reality. He gives us a new dynamic. Right? By the gift of redemption. He gives us a new st- uh, dynamic and reality. See, when, when we were in that courtroom, before that judge that, that morning, me and Nancy were just like holding hands. Like we, were, we, were, we were nerve-wracked. We didn't know what to expect. And yet, hey, everything here seems to be perfect. And this is good timing for you guys to bring in Danny into your family. Like, it's approved by me. And they were... Like, yes, and we were expectant. We were excited. You know, there was so much potential for our relationship to go deeper and deeper and deeper. See, uh, but I, I don't. I think we miss that when it comes to God. I think it's like, okay, God saved me. God gave me forgiveness in Christ. No, it's like think about this for a second. Like, we were orphans who were traitorous and treacherous. Nobody wanted us. That's who we were. And we committed a crime before a king. A king over all kings. And this king had us brought us in before him. 
and the penalty for our traitor, for our betraying him, was death. Death. But the prince comes out, says, Father, Father looks at the prince. Yes, my son. I want him to be part of the family. The king is like, yo, like, somebody's got to pay, homie. That's the king's decree. It has to be done. Father, I'll do it. I'll pay. You mean you pay? The payment is death. You can't pay that. I'll pay. I'll I'll take his place. I'll take her place. I'll I'll do it. No. Yes. And the king is like, yo, I can't hold back. I will not hold back. The king's decree is that the payment or the sentence for this betrayal is death. You don't have to hold back, Father. And as you're standing there, the king's son, the prince, is being slaughtered. And you're standing there. And the king says to you, the payment has been made on your behalf. Now, you know that the payment is death. But the king says to you, the payment has been made on your behalf. Someone that actually loved you, cared for you. I don't know why, but he wanted you. You're free to go. But then right before you turn around to go, he says, don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. Because of what my son did for you right now, you are my child now. Wash up. Wash up. Wash up. Why? Wash up. So you go wash up, right? And he brings out all his servants, starts decking you out. See, we're not just some orphan that gets a corner in the house, y'all. We're not just some orphan that's going to continue begging the rest of our lives, y'all. We're not just some orphan that, you know, gets a little cot in the corner of the house. No. See, back in the, back in Galatians, and, and with the Galatians, any orphan could be picked up by anybody and they could do anything with anyone, any one of them. Some of them were brought into prostitution. Some of them were brought into all types of crazy stuff. Some of them were turned into murderers. Some of them were turned into insurrectors, people who start riots for no reason just because they wanted to overthrow the, the, uh, the, the government. So that's what they would do with these orphans. But you're not any of those. We get a seat at the table in the palace, y'all. With Christ. With Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. 
We're not outsiders. He exchanges our tattered rags for robes of righteousness. Yo, we are regal now. We royal now. Who knows if you can walk like that? See, but the, the reason why we can't walk like that is because we're still depending on our own confidence to be able to have confidence in what he has given us in Christ. See, we are royal now. He clothes us in garments of salvation. He puts beautiful headdresses on us, y'all. He adorns us with jewels. We are the prodigals that have returned to the Father. We are the prodigals, and now you're only to be received by our Father so he can deck us out. He throws a party, and he puts on the best of clothing on us. And you know what his name is? Christ, the best of clothing, not navy or fubu, not Prada or Gucci. All that stuff is passing away, homie. Our identity is not caught up in those things, but in the most beautiful of garments, the most beautiful of robes, the most beautiful of clothing, Christ. Romans 8.29 says, and this is what I like, before I read it, before I read that. I love how God, and, and I've always thought about it, but I just, I, this, just doing this study, it just brought me a whole new understanding. I love how God uh, associates our conversion with birth. <laughs> I love that. You know, because you think, you think our adoption is just like, okay, now you're in my house. That's your room. You put your shoes there. Okay, live here. We think that's what it looks like. But no, man. He says, and for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Firstborn among many what? Brothers and sisters, y'all. I don't know about you, but when I took Joe home the first time, I'm just holding Joe and I'm like, man, God bless you, baby. I want to protect you, baby. And my face was shining. My face was glowing so much joy. Everybody knew. Oh, you must, dude, that's a great gift. Enjoy her, enjoy her, enjoy her. Yeah, you're happy now. You're joyous. I'm like, dude, you don't know. You don't know the joy that this baby, this little thing, little bob, cluster of cells brings me. And you're like, there's no wrong you could do that make me stop loving you. All you look on them with is favor. You know, he's like, man, I hope me and your mama know how to work things out so we can raise you well in a house full of peace. See, we want that, but we forget. That's what the Lord declares over us. Check it out. Number 624 says, May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with you on with favor on you and give you peace. See, God isn't just, oh, you can come into my family now and now you, you, you're just another f- mouth to feed. No, you are my child. There is nothing you can, wrong you can do. There is nothing you can do that will make my love go away. There is nothing you can do that will make me turn my back on you. There is nothing you can do that will make me reject you, detest you, or be mad and angry at you. There is nothing you can do 
I love you. You are mine to bless. You are mine to protect. You are mine to show grace, to show favor, to show mercy. You are mine. Think about that. Yo, like, I'm, I'm laboring this because we don't get it. Miami folk don't get it. You want me to mention Miami? Where you at? Where you at? Miami folk don't get it. We're caught up in what we see in our hoods, in our, in our city, and blah, blah, blah. Dude, Miami culture teaches us to be caught up in this little immediate family when in reality we have a huge family in Christ. And not, and not under some imperfect father. I know many of us have had that. All of us have had that. But a perfect affectionate, relational, and familial father. Yes. Yo, when he sees you, you should also hear, this is my son. I am pleased. When he sees you, that's what you should hear. I am pleased. Not because of you, but Christ on you. Ain't that beautiful? Yeah, he doesn't stop there. He's the father who keeps on giving. He's the father who keeps on giving. He's the Father who gives us His Spirit. It says, when the time came to completion, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So a sub-point here is he gives us someone who attests to the truth of our adoption. He gives us someone who attests to the truth of our adoption. I don't know about you, but I don't, if I'm depending on myself to believe, I won't. If I'm depending on myself to remember what Christ has done and, and appropriate that, I won't. I won't. So here we have a father that doesn't just, you know, send his son. He doesn't just send a replacement. He doesn't just give us adoption through that perfect sacrifice. But he he also sends another advocate, another lawyer, another person to tell us the truth. That's what he seeks to announce to us, y'all. Check this out. John 15, 26 says this. When the counselor comes, the one I will, the one I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. This is Christ talking. The Spirit will testify about Christ. So receiving the Spirit of God is not about coming to a certain set of beliefs about Jesus 
in and of ourselves or in our own judgment or in our own fickle understanding, y'all. The Spirit of God isn't, isn't some tool that we use to make ourselves greater or better. The Spirit isn't some strange power we pull from our back pocket so that we can fix stuff. No. He also, he also, Santi, he also isn't someone who waves his own flag, much less yours, much less ours. So he ain't in the business of showing us our visible qualities. It's not about our personal experiences dictating our reconciled relationship to God. Check this out. John 16, 13 says, when the spirit of the truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. But who is the word? Christ, right? We learned that earlier, right? He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. So if receiving the Spirit of God is not about us, our judgments, us being better, our qualities, or our flag being waved, or, 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 or our experiences even, what is he about? He's about speaking the truths of Christ's cross. Creating faith in us. Calling us. Beckoning us. Laying hold of us. And uniting us to God. That's what he's about. How? You ever do something wrong and you get that overwhelming sense of guilt? Or shame. You know why you get that? Because you you don't belong to yourself. If the Spirit of God is dwelling in you, He is going to be convicting you. So at one point, He's convicting you. And so you can turn around, repent, so He can convince you. Of what? Of your adoption. Of the gift of the cross for you. He'll be convicting you and convincing you. Convicting you, compelling you. I don't know, whatever word you want to use there. Convicting you and convincing you. Convicting you of your sin, but convincing you of your forgiveness and justification. Convicting you of your shortcomings, but convincing you of his filling the gap for us. Convicting you of your fallenness. But he's convincing you of your resurrection power. Of the resurrection power in our lives, yo. He's, he's convicting you of your lack. But he's convinc convincing you of the marvelous exchange that God made at the cross. Our sin for his life. That's what he's in the business of. 
He, and in doing that, he gives us a real sense of awareness and sensibility to the reality of our adoption. Yeah, we adopted, but we don't walk around like we are. I say that in this sense. I can tell you that I've gone into the Queen's Palace, Queen Elizabeth. But then you can ask me a bunch of questions about that palace and about how they carry themselves there. And then I'd become, I don't know. Why? Because I've never really been there. But if I've actually been there, you don't got to ask me anything. I'm coming out of that, of that palace and I'm telling you about the queen, how cute she is, no, about, about how they carry themselves, about the guards, about this and about that. Look at this luxury. Look at this. But this is what, this is what the Spirit is doing in us. Revealing all the truths of Christ in our hearts, in our minds. Constantly, day in, day out. So that we can walk. You know what? Even in my sin, I am good with my God. You know why? He paid. Even when I feel left out, I am adopted. I am a son of God. I am an actual child of God. I can walk like that. I just talk it. So even as, as, as the waves of sin, sin slam against us, or when death touches our families, or when, we, or when we fail our spouses, when we don't know the answer to raising our children, when the terror of the accusation of the devil just shot at us like a, you can, you can either say a bow and arrow or AK. I don't, I don't know. When it is shot at us, when this torment of accusation is upon us, the Lord reminds us of the peace we have with him through our Lord Jesus Christ to the point we can cry out, Papa, Papa, I'm faltering right now. Like, I am destroyed. I, 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 I. But you are with me. I'm yours. Papa. You want me to say, Daddy? We got no one else to go to. I got enemies everywhere. They're coming on all sides. But you, you are my rescuer. You are my God. You, you are my power. You hold me. You hold me. You, you told me that you would. You promised. Yeah. You know, dude, we went fishing yesterday. And we were on this ledge of rocks. And, and Joe and Jay are, they love the outdoors. They love exploring. Let's go explore. Be careful. I'm not the type to be like, you don't do this because this and that. No, no. You're going to learn. That's how I carry myself. Be careful. You'll hear that a thousand times in my house. Be careful. Right? So she steps out onto the ridge. She made herself a little fishing pole from 
a stick and some line that we found. Actually, Nancy did that for them. So she goes off and she's stepping onto the rocks and she's just like going down and down and down. Yeah, I can do this. I'm like, be careful. She slips. And she, she, she's, like, she's like, I'm all right. I'm all right. And she's, puppy, puppy, puppy. Dude, and I'm like, that's how I look before my father in heaven. When sin is tormenting me. When, when my faultings is, when my doubts are doubt, I mean, are, are just surrounding me. That's how I look with Papi, Papa. Yeah, that, 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 that's how it looks. Here comes dad. I got you. I got you. Hey, it's okay. You're just in shock. That happens in this broken world. You're mine. What comfort, what wisdom, what confidence can we derive from this? Ain't it amazing? Check this out. He don't stop there, y'all. He's a father that keeps on giving. He's a father who gives us an inheritance of grace. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you, know, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. An heir to what? Many times we grow impatient. To the point of despair, and, and we lament over the things of this world and this present life. But he's telling us here, he's made you an heir. We have a great inheritance awaiting us. See, we're there, but not, not there yet, 100%. We see glimpses of these gifts. We see glimpses of this great inheritance, but we're, we haven't received it all completely. I mean, it is ours. You know what I'm trying to say? But we're just not there yet. And one day we will be. We, we will experience the eternal gifts of, of Christ for us fully. The forgiveness of sins fully. No more doubts are going to be present. When righteousness is going to be ours completely. Think about that. The glory of the resurrection Everlasting life? Simply by receiving what it means. Simply by receiving it through our adoption. That's our inheritance. See, under the covenant of works, under that arrangement, Adam failed to attain those gifts. But I love how God immediately makes another covenant. It's a covenant of grace. 
And while Adam and Eve were trying to cover themselves up with their little fig leaves and trying to patch themselves up and fix themselves, God spills innocent blood and covers them with skins. And then, throughout history, we see just how God's covenant of grace is carried out through again and again and again. Here, kill this, kill this lamb and put it on your doorposts. You don't understand, I know. But it, it stands for something greater. And it's so that you can receive something greater, something better. Here, the, spill blood on this mercy seat. Spill blood, spill blood. So you can receive something greater, something better. And you're receiving, you're just constantly receiving. And then he sends his son. And his blood was spilt so that we can receive something better. And he promises a spirit. So he can announce to us what is to come. He gives us the gift of, uh, the, of hope and future by the inheritance given us in adoption. He gives us the gift of hope and future by the inheritance given us in adoption. And he tells us, yo, I will be your God and you will be my people. And time and time again, he tells us this too. And this promise is for you and your children. So, I mean, when we don't have the answer to raise our children, it's like, yo, I have a father in heaven. I don't know, it just comes, it, it becomes a natural thing. I have a father in heaven. I have a father in heaven. And they're like, I want to know this father in heaven. They will get to know this great inheritance too. And that God would promise that you have this inheritance? How awesome is that? Alright, so let's go into a little bit of application here. If the father is the father who gives us a son, we don't have to kill ourselves over trying to impress or win over God with what we do or don't do, you know, or what we offer up to him. We don't have to kill ourselves doing that. Christ was sufficient for God the father. He replaced us. He is our substitute. He is our law keeper. He is our law bearer. He is sufficient, y'all. And I'm not saying, you know, we, we give things up to irresponsibility in our faith and in our walks. I'm saying that as we walk, we trust that He is actually sufficient. And if the Father has given us adoption, then this should drive us to find true, deep affection Worth, love, grace, importance in this adoption. Right? See, marriage matters. 
But ain't your spouse imperfect? I know that my wife has told me, hey, I felt that you did not love me. Do you know what it is for your wife to tell you that? See, but she doesn't have to bank on my love for her. She gets perfect love. Perfect, perfect love in her adoption. See, but that compelled me to pursue her because of my adoption. You don't have to enslave each other to loving one another better. And we go on from there. What about our addictions? Because addictions don't come just in substances. I'll be on social media too. What about our trinkets and gadgets, man? Our toys. Addictions, man, they're out there. They come in all ways, shapes, and forms. Say otherwise if you want. We try to blind ourselves. We try to numb ourselves with these things to who we deem ourselves to be. Right? We think we're ugly. We think we're unlovely. We think we ain't worth it. But in our adoption, you've been cleaned. You've been declared clean. You've been wrapped in beauty. You are beautiful in the sight of the Most High God. And you're welcome to the table. How much affection is that? In the the midst of our unloveliness, in the midst of our craziness, in the midst of our sinfulness, we are loved. How about our circles? We find importance there. It's a means for us to matter more. Or if I know this person, I know this person can take me to a whole other level kind of deal. Or if I know this person, this person makes me feel comfy. This person makes me feel good about myself. And we try to find importance in those circles based on how people see us. Based on the things we have in common. Based on the things we do or don't do. See, but, but, but adoption brings us into a family where we can hold thing, all things in common. Adoption brings us into a family where everything matters. Adoption brings us into a family where everything is not based on our similarities or our good looks or our whatever we want to put on it, but on Christ. How perfect he is, how lovely he is, how awesome he is, how majestic he is, and how we're wrapped up in that. We don't have to be afraid of how others outside of our circle see us. If the Father has given us the Holy Spirit, we don't need to find hope in our own experiences. Our experiences can be crummy sometimes, you know. But that's not where our hope is derived from. 
We find hope in the constant reassurance of the Spirit of God given into our hearts. We don't need to depend on our past to see the truth. We don't need to worry about what the, the, the future might look like. We depend on the truth that God has revealed to us by His grace and by His Spirit. If we are giving hope for a future, then it should lead us not to care so much for the things of this present life, y'all. If we're giving hope for a future, if we're giving if we're given hope for a future and in a great inheritance that we have awaiting for us, we shouldn't be so caught up in the things of the right now. And I'm not talking about irresponsibility again. It's not about that. To have or, or not have should be just part of this world, of its fallenness. We recognize we live in a broken world. Our laments can turn into humility and patience because we will one day be face to face with the one that has promised it. That promised his grace, promised his inheritance, promised complete forgiveness, promised complete glorification, promised complete perfection, no more tears, no more sorrow. We have that. And as the Spirit announces these things to us, we can grow more patient. And here's the thing. A lot of times I think we mistake our, you know, sometimes, I don't know about you, but I feel down a lot of times. And I came across a quote a while back and it said, uh, there is a certain joy that makes you serious or something like that. And I thought about it for a long time. I was like, you know what? It don't make sense, but it kind of does at the same time. See, I believe God is just like constantly showing us glimpses of this future. Constantly showing us glimpses of this inheritance. Constantly showing us what it is, what it's going to be like. That makes our hearts long more and more and more. Like, I want that. And then we look at this world and it's like, crap, I'm stuck here. I'm still here. Don't take your, your bad days as something that it takes away from your adoption. Don't take those bad times as something that takes away from who you are in Christ. Don't, don't take that as that. But take it as a reminder that you have an inheritance waiting for you. And it will be much greater, much better, much more than we could ever ask or imagine. Because he's a father who keeps on giving and he's given it to us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we get to sit under your word. That we are wrapped in those robes of righteousness. They're not our own, but you've given them to us in Christ. Thank you. Thank you for this adoption. May we live from this adoption, God. May we be in the constant state of our adoption, God. And may you be the one we cry to. 
when our doubts are haunting us. And we be reminded that you reminded that you are our Father. And reminded of the future inheritance that you have awaiting for us. You are preparing a place for us. And if it wasn't so, you would have never told us, Daddy. Praise you. In Christ's beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. That concludes our message, and we hope that you were inspired by it. If you'd like to hear more about the gospel or find out more about Reconciled Church Miami, please connect with us using one of the ways listed on our website, reconciledchurchmiami.org.